Sui Notice Podcast. Something soothing about a day job ruins your clothes. It's miserable, comforting to know that there's a couch and weed at home waiting for me. Yo, yo, what up, everyone? You are listening to the Two Week Notice Podcast. My name is Dana B. I'm your host. Thanks so much for listening. Come on. And today, we have an awesome episode for you, all right? We have Kevin Lyman, the man himself, okay? Kevin Lyman started Warp Tour. I mean, this man needs no introduction. He's kind of a big fucking deal. Uh, but before we get into that, you know, the episode with Kevin, it went a little short. I don't know what happened on his end exactly, he didn't get the notification like in his email or his phone or whatever. We were supposed to talk at like 11 a.m. one day and I just like 20 minutes went by and I was like, I haven't heard from him. So I don't know. Shit happens. No big deal. But I just sent him an email real quick. Like, hey, man, just wanted to see if we're still on for today. In my email, I have like a signature with my phone number on it. This is why you do this, people. Right. Sure enough, dude, the phone starts ringing and I never answer my phone. Rarely do I answer my phone. If it's like a an unknown number or a number that I don't recognize, you know what I'm saying? I think most people do that these days. They just kind of like, eh, just wait and see if they leave a voicemail, right? For whatever reason, I was like, maybe that's Kevin Lyman. Sure enough, dude. I was like, yell out. <laughs> He's like, hey, Dana, it's Kevin. It's <laughs> like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry I didn't get the whatever, the alarm or the notification. He's like, give me like two minutes. Uh, I'll hop on with you right now. I was like, all right, cool. It did like shorten it a little bit, which it's fine. We had a great talk. I'm not upset about that, but it usually goes an hour. So I figure I'll just fill up like the rest of the hour because I think it went like 40 minutes. So I'll just fill it up with a tour update, you know, if that's cool with you people. If not, you can fast forward, do whatever the fuck you want. If you're new to the podcast, hey, thanks so much for checking it out. I should tell you. So I am currently on tour with the band The Story So Far. They're the headliner. And then also supporting is Joyce Manor, Mom Jeans, and Microwave. All four of these bands are incredible. So I am just the box truck driver. I'm driving around the merch for The Story So Far. I am happy to be in any role it, it just any part of this tour, it is already so special. It's been like a week, right? Today's Tuesday. Yeah, our first show was last Monday, right? So it started in Salt Lake City. And last week's episode, actually, we had just done Salt Lake City. I had that crazy drive through the Rocky Mountains in the snow for like 13 fucking hours. And then, what did we do? Oh, it, uh, <laughs> I left you. I was about to go. We had this private show put on by Zoomies, the skate company. Uh, they were putting on an employee party for like their top performers in the company. So it was like a private gig and it was <laughs> the story so far. Mom Jeans played too. And Lu- um, I almost said Lupe Fiasco. Ludacris. I like Lupe Fiasco too, if we're being honest. But yo, fucking Ludacris. And no, I did not get to smoke weed with him. I didn't meet him, but that's okay. Whatever, dude. He put on a killer show and... It was such a sick setup. There were, like, skate ramps and, like, giveaways, and they, they threw a banging party. They definitely spent, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars. If not, Actually, someone I'm friends with on Instagram, he saw my stories. He's like, I used to work for them. They spend, like, he was, like, somewhere between $1 million and $1.2 million on that party. So that was really rad and uh, definitely a major highlight, not only for this tour, but just, like, in general. <laughs> it was wicked awesome. 
it was cool. These guys, I love these guys. All the dudes in the the story so far crew are awesome. The dudes in the band, uh, Dan, the tour manager. I really like the way that he operates, the way he runs his his tour. He's a super pro, but super approachable, and just an awesome dude. Everyone uh, and all the other bands too. Um, but not only that, like our sound guy Zach. He does sound for like Taking Back Sunday, and he used to do sound for Newfound Glory. Like this dude's a veteran and a professional in the industry. And then like our merch guy, his name's Dom, dude, and he like he does merch for Bayside, and uh, he's like a piebald fan. And the whole story crew is fucking rad. And then Joyce Manor, I hate to pick favorites. I can't pick favorites. I, I honestly can't because all I love watching all four of these bands every night. It's definitely my. F- like the highlight of my day every day. And there are times where I'm like, I really want to sleep in, but I don't want to miss anybody's sets because they're all so good. But I got to say, Joyce Manor, watching them every night. Oh, man. No, I can't pick favorites. I can't. I honestly can't. But I'm super into them, and I can't stop listening to their music in the car. Microwave as well, but Microwave just fucking rips. And the bassist on this tour is filling in for their normal bassist. But he also plays in the band Can't Swim. I've been talking to him, like, out back, you know, behind the venue a couple nights here and there. And just a really cool dude. And then Mom Jeans, like, they just have their own vibe. And it's an awesome vibe. And they're so popular. Like, like they come out and people go crazy. Like, they are so popular. And um, super fun to watch. Great sound. Um, cool cats, you know. And then, again, Joyce Manor just... Oh, man, I I just, I really like Joyce Manor a lot. You know what it is, I think, that makes it extra special for me? Watching them on stage gives me piebald vibes. Like, they have the party vibe, and... Yeah, the singer of Joyce Manor, he he gives me Travis vibes a little bit. The bassist even gives me Andy vibes, and just, they're just a really, really awesome band. And then the story so far, just, they just crush it. Parker's a killer singer. They're all just chill dudes, um awesome dudes you know and yeah this this is a really special tour and i'm honored and just really happy to be a small part of it uh what did we do after that ludicrous show that was at keystone colorado and then i had to drive to denver that's where the next show was which that was like a two-hour drive that one was also in the snow but after that drive i did the night before it didn't even matter it was like i like blinked and it was over you know what i'm saying and yeah, it was at the Mission Ballroom. Denver's cool. So this this venue in particular, it's a new venue, and it's modeled after Red Rocks. So they have like the amphitheater style set up. I don't know. It, it's it's just I don't know how else to explain it. It just it might be my new favorite venue. You know what I'm saying? And then what do we do after that? Oh, and that that venue holds about four thousand people, and it was almost sold out. So all these bands are just absolutely crushing it right now and i i'm sure they're all getting new fans too um but what's cool about all four bands even microwave who's first right it goes microwave mom jeans joyce manor and then the story so far as soon as microwave takes the stage every night that people start going crazy they're singing the songs so there are people who know all these bands which is it's great that's what it's all about and people are showing up man a lot of these shows are sold out most of them it seems like but then after Denver, we went to Iowa. Cause, all right, so the commute, the next show was in uh, Detroit or, or Royal Oak, which is a suburb of Detroit. So Denver to Detroit is like, I don't know, like 20 hours or 18 hours, something like that. So 
we all drove like halfway and uh, stopped in somewhere in fucking Iowa. I don't know, stayed in a hotel and then drove all the way to Detroit. And shout out to Chris Towning, my man from Barry, y'all fucking dead. Uh, a lot of, you know, people in every city have been asking me to hang out, which I didn't even know I had friends in every city, which is really cool. And on a couple occasions, it has worked out. On a couple occasions, it has not. Sometimes, I don't know, dude. Sometimes meetups just don't work out. Some people are asking me for tickets. The answer is no. Like, I'm, I'm a fucking driver on this tour. I can't get you tickets. So please don't ask me. <laughs> All right. But Chris Towning, dude, he came by and he was just like, yo, dude, um, I see you coming to Detroit. Like, is it cool if I stop by the venue? Just whatever. He, he wasn't even asking for tickets. He just wanted to hang out for a little bit and just say what's up. And I was like, cool. You want to do a podcast? And he was like, yeah, sure. Why not? So, dude, but it was hot. It didn't really, I don't know, man. It didn't sound good. I started to actually edit that before I edited this Kevin Lyman episode, but it's it's kind of a mess because we were up in the balcony at the Royal Oak Music Theater while different bands were sound checking. There were all sorts of noises in the background. So if it is usable, it's gonna take me a, a while to go through. I just like, I don't have the time to do it right now. We'll see what I can get out of that, but I just, I don't know when because that'll take a lot more effort and time when I need to sleep, you know what I'm saying? Come on. But yo, that show was sick, Detroit. And then, what did we do from there? It was awesome to see Chris Towning. Oh, and then we went to Chicago. So we're doing a little zigzagging, but not too bad. That's just how it goes sometimes. I love Chicago. I've been there several times now for various different reasons. Like, I I did Riot Fest with Piebald. Maybe that was the first time I went there. Um, I've been there with Piebald a couple times. Wicker Park Fest. And we played Subterranean before. And I went there when I was working for Pantera Bread. I had to go there for like a week. And I just love that city. I've always had a great time in Chicago. And the venue we played at there, what was that one called? Radius? It's another new venue. It's like this big warehouse type thing. This venue holds like, I don't know. I heard different things. I heard 4,000 and I heard 5,000. I don't know, but that's a lot of people either way. And it was sold out. It was just really, really, that was a special one amazing to not only watch the bands every night but these massive massive crowds show up and just ready to to just rage dude it's i'm telling you this is a special tour um and then from there after chicago was pittsburgh in between there was a day off and then today drove to cleveland we are playing what's it called the uh, agora theater something like that agoa agora I don't know. I already dropped the box truck off. I actually got to go. Like, I dropped off the truck this morning. So basically, this is how my days have been working, right? So and I show up to the whatever town we're playing in, and I drop the box truck off as soon as I can. So usually somewhere between 7 and 9 a.m. And I pull up the app that has all the tour information. Dan, the tour manager, he'll put, like, parking instructions and, like, a picture, like a parking map. I have to hit up somebody from the venue just be like, yo, am I in the right spot? Here's a picture. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, word. And then I lock that shit up. I hit up an Uber. Then the Uber will take me to my hotel. And that's when I get my sleep. So then I'll sleep in the hotel, take a shower. You know what I mean? Whatever. Do this podcast. I'm in my hotel right now in Cleveland. Yeah, when it's almost showtime, I'll take my Uber. And I head over to the venue, dude. And I watch the show. 
and it's rad. I've been showing up at like six or seven to the venue and then I'm leaving at like midnight. So that's five hours of sleep that I could be getting. I'll miss out on the show, dude. I'll have mad FOMO. I wanna see these bands play every night. I've seen almost every set so far. We'll see if I can keep that up. There's a fair amount of like days off. Uh, we'll go to Baltimore tomorrow. Yeah, then, then it's like up to New York where we have a day off. Then we play New York. Then your boy's coming to Boston, coming back to Boston. It's like flying by, but it's also like a grind at the same time. It's low stress, uh, the job itself, especially compared to like tour managing or even merch. Like all I have to do is drive and like, but it is a pain in the ass because it's overnight. And I've already done at least three 12 hour drives, you know, maybe four. I don't know. Those get long, but you know what's weird at the same time? It's crazy how numb you get to it. You just gotta do it. Like, and I just play music, I listen to podcasts, I get snacks, whatever the fuck. It is a lonely gig, I will say. Do do do. Like, I'm in the hotel by myself, I'm in the truck by myself, but it's just a lot of alone time. Oh God, that's okay. I'm a weirdo. I don't mind being alone. Sometimes I prefer it. Oftentimes I prefer it, but I am very social. So like, if I run into the microwave dudes out back i'm like yo what up and i'll hang out with them maybe get a little stoned whatever so it's just really really cool to be doing this so the music i'm gonna play so you know i usually play music from the bands that are part of the podcast but kevin lyman isn't in a band i'm just gonna play some microwave tunes so the music that you're hearing is microwave i hope they're cool with it if they're not i can take it down but uh i don't see why they wouldn't be because Everyone should listen to Microwave. And they played Warp Tour before. I Googled it just to make sure. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's get to my talk with Kevin Lyman. Kevin, thank you so much. And um, this dude is just an absolute legend. I could I could have picked his brain all day. And he was very high on my list. This is a big deal for me. And Kevin is a big deal to the scene. I really think the Warp Tour might be the single-handedly the most important thing to happen to the scene in so many ways. So without further ado... Here is Kevin Lyman. Enjoy. This is a big honor, man. Kevin Lyman, creator of Warp Tour. How you doing? I'm good, Dana. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, so you're getting ready to go back on the road. How's it feel? Feels great. I'm really excited. I've only toured before with Piebald, so this is my first time like working with you know other bands. So I'm really excited about that. Very nice, nice, nice. How long are you gonna be out? Like a month and a half. That's very cool. Well, thanks for having me on your show, dude. The pleasure's all mine. And you mentioned your podcast a minute ago. I love your podcast, man. It's called uh, My Warped Life. Yeah, it was. A, it was a nice. It was like maybe like you. We need to fill up some time during this uh, during this uh, pandemic. You know, it was kind of like uh, either write a book or, or go out and start a podcast. And uh, I had a couple friends around that, you know, and kind of in the bubble around the neighborhood that we, we decided to do this podcast and we've been able to carry it through and I'm having a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of recapping, you know, when I call it my warp life, it's kind of a, it's encapsulating not only the warp tour, but all these other projects I worked on and some of the people I've met, I had some great interviews and I'm really enjoying it. I'm reconnecting too, like yourself, probably you get to talk to people that you haven't talked to in a while. And, oh, you know, we're in such a transient lifestyle that we lead uh, that you know you've been able to pick up conversations that you haven't talked to these people in two three four years and all of a sudden it's just like oh i ran into you in the parking lot backstage and we picked up a conversation that i hadn't seen each other in 12 hours yeah absolutely it's so funny because i used to do the podcast by myself before the pandemic and then i just wanted i just wanted to talk to people <laughs> so, yeah. that, so that i started bringing people on because everyone was just sitting around 
probably like same thing with you right but your show man like you got people from bands but i love the behind the scenes episodes like like the bus driver one that one was yeah. great yeah, yeah i'm doing one right now that's pretty gonna be pretty fun it's uh, about tattoos on warp tour and oh, uh nice. gonna have you know talking to oliver peck who uh pretty famous tattoo artist who kind of followed the warp tour around in his little motorhome for a while and, and then some of the bad tattoos people got on warp tour and some of them that they might be regretting at this point in their life <laughs> that's hilarious man now i i have one request you gotta get john cheese on there I did an interview with John at one point, and um, I need to do a follow-up. Yeah, a little more deep with him. Guy's a legend, man. He's he's great. He's um, actually doing like real estate out. I think you're where you're you're out on the East Coast, right? And yeah, yeah. He's now he's now a real estate agent out there, which is awesome. I mean, it's kind of fitting, right? He sold hundreds of thousands of those Warp Tour compilations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he convinced someone to buy that five dollar uh, CD. He can convince yeah. someone to buy a house. He's uh, moved up a little bit. That's funny. All right, man. Hopefully you're not sick of talking about some of this stuff. I'm sure I'm going to ask you things that you've been asked a lot. But if we could just get like a quick history of maybe how the Warp Tour started. And then I'd also like to hear how you teamed up with Vans. Yeah, well, for me, it was, uh, you know, I'd been working in the clubs of L.A. And that's what I, you know, I'm now a full-time professor at the University of Southern California. And trying to explain to people, and it's always unique to people when they come up to me and go, I want to start a festival. And I go, well, you know, that's great. But, you know, starting a festival for me was working 12 years in the clubs of Los Angeles and up to 320 nights a year, getting to build those relationships and understand just the nuts and bolts of putting on a normal show. And then having that opportunity in 1991 to go on Lollapalooza. I was the first stage manager of Lollapalooza when it was a tour and kind of learned how the logistics of a bigger tour worked. And then when I uh, did it in 1995, it was, you know, I, I was throwing it all out on the line, but I had a lot of people that they gave me a chance to fail because ultimately most festivals fail the first year. You know, if you technically look at them, logistically they can fail or financially they can fail or combination thereof, which a lot of them do. But I think people saw that what we were trying to do was different. So they gave us a second chance. But that second chance uh, usually means you're going to go out there again and, and uh, try to maybe scrape back to even, uh, get more people on board. And that's where I kind of learned, you know, bridge this gap in the world of, of, of bringing in, you know, corporate support for a project. I think it was really important to have that. I mean, I wouldn't have gotten to that second year because I, you know, I was all of a sudden having Pennywise and no effects and the budgets were up and no one, none of the promoters wanted to pay for the show. So we were kind of going out working out as a door deal. And that's what Warped Tour became was a, well, basically a door deal all along that we went out and took a percentage of the ticket sales. Uh, unlike most acts that would be getting a guarantee each show, we were out there uh, because we believed in the brand so much that we felt that we could go out there. But getting advanced involved was, you know, semi-accidental almost because uh, we were, you know, looking and, you know, believe it or not, that first that year, uh, Calvin Klein was so was interested in becoming the title sponsor. Think about the Calvin Klein Warped Tour in 1996. That would have been a disaster. Uh, but uh, maybe now you could get away with something like that. But uh, back then, and I and I got a call from Vans to come down for a meeting. And and really what they wanted to talk to me about was of helping them with their amateur skate program. And I said, well, you need to blend in this successful music festival, successful in, in quotes there. Uh, and uh, people come out and see music and, and pick up skating too. And, and we've had a great relationship. Uh, you know, we, we worked for 24 years together. And uh, we still continue, you know, with this, through this, hiatus me and Steve, Steve Van Doren are, are always talking about things and maybe doing things or supporting things you know Steve was out at my golf tournament last week I had out here in Los Angeles to raise money for music cares and they're supplying shoes to everyone and um 
you know, it's, 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 it's good to say you have those kind of relationships for that many years. I think a lot of times in our music, you, you see people, you know, have a sponsor for a year, support for a year, or someone's around and, and to have something for so long really allowed me the freedom of, and creativity to, to do what we did with war. You know, just looking back, something I certainly didn't realize at the time, probably because I was a kid, I guess. I mean, it's so important. It, it might be the most important thing to happen to the scene. Well, I think it's, you know, it was great because when we started out, it was, you know, it was like this, and, I, and Britt Gurowitz, and I've said this before from Epitaph Records, the president, one time in a parking lot, he says, Warp Tour is a giant umbrella, you know, and everyone gets under the umbrella for the summer, you know, Fat Records, Epitaph, SST, Side One Dummy, Hopeless, Fearless, everyone gets under that umbrella. And we realized that we need to pull together to keep the scene strong. Majority of those bands were not getting commercial radio play or large things. Sometimes someone would break out and there'd be a Blink-182 or something, but really it was, it really was a place for everyone to gather in the summer. Um, and that was kind of my feeling in one of the ways I started it because I worked in the clubs and when the, there was so much traffic and we're once again in that situation, if you think about 2022 and you're going on the road right now, every venue is full every night of the week. And there's going to be, there's limited finances out there. Uh, who has money to go to tickets? And um, we're seeing it right now with the economy, you know, we've got inflation and we've got gas prices and all these bands are out there, you know, you hate to say competing, uh, but they are for, for limited do entertainment dollars. So the concept of work was bring everyone together in a parking lot or a venue and, and give everyone a value and to come and re-energize the scene. So we're, they, the bands weren't out during the summertime uh, competing with each other, but you know, one band will bring friends and some one band fans and another band will bring their fans. And some of those fans are like this band and, oh, wait, I'll grab, you know, it was always like a, in some ways, you know, and, and some people, but, but it was like a lifestyle mall too out there. People could get all their favorite band shirts and they can get fashion in school, you know, so going back to school, you're, you're kind of set, you know, for your, with your bag of warp stuff. And uh, it was, it was great. And, and it really worked when everyone kind of supported it. Um, and, and took a lot of bands, a lot of people would have to take a step back, maybe a little bit financially to make the whole scene go forward, knowing that they're going to sell more records or more the next tour is going to sell more tickets because they were part of this. But then, you know, we stopped selling records, you know, people stopped selling, you know, really CDs and money. So it get, got tougher because when we became so dependent on making money from live touring, where bands were making 70, 80% from live touring, uh, it was really tough. And, and it was hard for some bands to say, oh, I got to take a little less, less money on Warp so they could bring those side stages and all those things. And you needed those bigger bands willing to do that to kind of pull the draft of all the fans that would come and see the younger bands. You know, it's not a negative. It's just what happens. It's just what happened. And uh, we, we navigated it for a long time. Uh, we navigated it. And then you know, two thousand. Then I, 2017, I real rough summer. And it was just the one year you're going to have everything go wrong. 2017 was a year that everything could have gone wrong, went wrong. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I'm getting to the point where I've done everything I could possibly do with the project in the way it is. And uh, went out in 2018, had that lovely summer, kind of that swan song of going through the venues and you're out on the East Coast and we'd be barbecuing. Every night was a like a farewell to not only each other, but in a way that we'd be spreading out and doing different things, but to those venues and those people we worked with that supported the show each year, because they get a lot of shows, you know, they're going to get, you know, you know, 
Miranda Lambert. They're going to get, uh, you know, whatever, sticks and journey. But usually the venues really looked forward to the Warp Tour. Maybe not the first couple of years, but after they got into it, they enjoyed that day because it was so different. Yeah. You know, they were they were getting, um, so it was great. I mean, and, and then I just thought, you know, as the way it stands, we've done everything with the project that we could. We've been around the world. We've done U.S. And, you know, who knows? You know, it's funny. You take something away and all of a sudden people miss it, you know? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I had several people ask me to ask you when another warp Tour is going to happen. So people definitely well, miss it. Well, I don't know, you know, at this point, God, could you imagine, you know, you're going out there right now on the road. You know, I'm sure you're looking at gas prices right now. Oh, yeah. And, and, and some of your, your tour budgets. So I don't know if, if, the, if the, of the level that we had of that thousand people going down the road would make sense this summer, if you think about it. But there, there might be some refined ways to do it. We had those lovely shows uh, at the end of the, uh, to, in 2019. We we're out in Atlantic City and San Francisco and in Cleveland. You know, could there be something like that? Maybe I don't know. You know, it, it's there's no set plans. There's been some inquiries about some international stuff maybe going again. Uh, we had a blast on the cruise ship when we did that warped cruise. I think uh, it, it's, it's fun. I mean, I'm realizing as a person too, I, I love teaching. I love being a professor, but being brought in on other people's projects because people want to hire me to come and help. I'm not a great consultant sometimes in that way because I tell people probably now what, what they need to hear, not maybe what they want to hear. And sometimes consultants, I think, make their money by telling a person what they want to hear and feeding their ego. And I'm going to say, here's what I just did it this morning on an event where I'm just saying, you need to pay attention. And I had to put it in writing and we'll see where it goes. But other than that, I'm just enjoying getting to you know spend some time with my uh, wife and travel. We have a Sprinter van camper and we're actually, you know, heading on a big road trip. We'll be pulling right through your area coming up here in, uh, in, a, in a while. Oh, that's so cool. I follow a lot of those accounts on Instagram that show like the van conversion. Yeah. Where are you going? Oh, we're we, we're going to be traveling across up to a wedding in Maine. And uh, and then we're doing a big swing through and connecting today with someone from one of the venues we used to play at. I said, well, I'm swinging through town and they got a big concert that night. So I said, set me up a corner in the parking lot of the back and I'll bring the barbecue. Hang out. <laughs> that's perfect. And, you know, aside from just all these bands that got this platform on Warp Tour, I also was thinking just about the connections. There are friendships that have made that will last a lifetime, countless. You, you wouldn't even be able to track it all. It's just, it was just so important. Well, everyone was part of a community out there. And you know, we talk a lot about community now. I mean, you know, here NFTs, I got to have a community and all this stuff. I'm like, Warp was a true community. And I always said, and, and that everyone basically gave a crap that was out there. And, and when I say gave a crap, from the person who put up the smallest 10 by 10 tent, for the smallest band to my production team, they all gave a crap each day. And they treated each other with the respect of that you're out here working. And if you did your job, you got a lot of respect out there. Uh, we also, it was not a good place to screw up. Uh, if you were a crew person that screwed up, you were screwing up in front of the whole community. Uh, it wasn't screwing up in a, for that one band maybe you were working for or one record label, there was, you know, 900 people on the road. You had a lot of eyes on what people were doing, but that for people that shown and really put in the effort, that's led to their careers. You know, that's led, you know, you go backstage at any festival now. And when I started this, we were like the misfit crew because we weren't their traditional 
roadie crew. And, you know, we were out there just in dirty fields and didn't care about showers and after show food. We cooked it in a, on a barbecue instead of having it delivered. It was like you were there. And a lot of people disrespected me for like just my crew, not me. I, I don't I, whatever. I I learned to be just kind of whatever. Let it roll off my back. But the, I remember people talk crap about the warp crew. Oh, they're not real crew. They're not this. You look at now. If you have warp Tour on your resume still, you know, it's been a few years, but if it's on there, people give you respect in the business because they know that you worked hard, you didn't complain, and you had a good attitude because you had to have a good attitude on warp Tour. Everyone would always say like, what about the people with bad attitudes on warp Tour? And I go, never saw them, never knew them because we just didn't put up with them. That's they right. could sit in their bus all day long, but no one was going to put up with it because you got 10 people to turn to over here that had a good attitude and who's going to, who you're going to want to hang out with. Yeah, man, just legendary stuff. And it's, that's, yeah. it's a grind. I mean, yeah. it's almost like a traveling circus in a way. Like, it's just so impressive. How many cities was it every year? Oh, he would do anywhere from 32 to 42. How many yeah. bands? Oh my God, 70 to 100 a day. And those are the ones that were on the bill, right? I love the stories of like, and this is uh, on your podcast as well, people just kind of posting up in, in the parking lot to just play a set in front of the line waiting to get in the gates like they're not making money they're they just want to play their music in front of people but like how did you get away with that like i feel like you wouldn't be able to these days i think now you know i think that was the thing i had a lot of respect from the work i had done for other and people saw me build that tour over time and we pushed everything at first trust me you can't have people in the parking lot why not it's not hurting anyone. You know, you know, I had to be out there and I had to be, you know, and that's why I was there every day because there were some things I'd say, oh, that's not going to work. You know, like someone would set up right in front of the box office and the kids, you know, or something like that. Or, you know, and, and, and it's treating those kids with respect too, because they were just chasing it, you know, and I always felt that, you know, they were part of it. And a lot of them, you know, it was, it, it was interesting because there was a whole little subculture to warp that, you know, we didn't really, we probably should talk about more of the, but it was like those kids in the parking lot would, were sometimes my like undercover cops in a way, you know, <laughs> because there was people selling fake tickets or ripping off kids with fake trying to sell passes. Um, just, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't really care about bootleg t-shirts. That wasn't really a thing. We were always selling them. So for cheap inside, the kids didn't have to buy them in the parking lots, but those kids were like my eyes and ears out in the parking lots. And, you know, look, it's, I guess it's, it's the same thing. If you're running a prison yard in some ways, you can have your people that, and you know what, they're all of a sudden you start noticing and you're like, Oh, I got an extra stage spot up on a stage today. Why don't you jump in there and get 30 minutes or something? Uh, because that was the thing with when you have an open culture like that, that I felt like it, it's great, but of course it's going to attract people who took advantage of it. I mean, we literally had like all sting operations going out there. Like, we had a crew of people one time following us with all our blank wristbands. And they would find out from someone inside what side the color of the wristband was that day. And they were printing them in the back of their car. These kind of things were going on. And I'm trying to run, we were running a major festival, but we were dealing with, because it wasn't open culture. I wanted to let people in and people would come in and try to take advantage of that culture. And, you know, it was tough and it was getting tougher later on because when I was touring at the beginning, it was all my friends and I knew everyone and I knew their personalities. And later on, I needed to trust other people for recommendations of who might be able to come into that world. And it, it led to some issues and, you know, we, we addressed them the best we possibly could. Of course, people from the sidelines can criticize or you know, and they, they, they do in everything. Um, but, you know, when you're, you know, you had to make decisions right or wrong. 
and uh, you made them. You, you know, you had to live by your decisions out there. And that was me. And the final decision came from me. And, you know, I always say, you know, there, there's no perfect society. And anyone who says they are is probably lying to themselves. That's right. And people on the side, they can say whatever they want. Those are just like haters, you know. And, and I, I like the culture that was created in the fact that, you know, these bands, you're like, yeah, if they want to hustle and follow the tour, let them. And you know what? Sometimes those people, like you said, they would jump on stage. And that was probably the best moment of their lives when you needed a spot to fill. And and oftentimes, like, because I've heard you say this on the podcast, those people would end up working for you. Yeah, those bands sometimes turn into bands like uh, the Mayday Parade or, you know, the Main or those kind of bands, you know? You know, it, there's no regrets with that project. And, you know, I look at it now, it's, it's interesting to run into people who never got a chance to go you know i did and i interviewed chad tepper who great doing some great music kind of has his own take on some of the pop punk world and you know he's using tiktok and, he, and he's approaching some of the uh jared from uh, bowling for soup and pierre from simple plan and doing collaborations and, and there's a new generation of this which is almost inspiring to me to learn about and see again that there's a new generation of collaborators out there doing things and then building a scene and you know some people you know have opinions about machine gun kelly but i have to say he's you know, started out in the warp lots as a hip hop person. And all of a sudden now, but he's collaborating and he's encouraging younger artists and he's pulling them in. And that's kind of what a, what a scene needs. The older mentors and the older people bring out these people and, or people have understood and, and helped the scene grow. And then I think maybe we're getting back to that again, because they've realized that they can't doing it as a solo act in a bubble doesn't quite work. Right. That's so important. Whether or not you like the guy or his music, the scene needs that 100%. You said you're a professor now. What do you, can you talk about that? Oh, yeah. I'm, I, I was teaching even in 2018. I, as we were going out on that full last year run, I was teaching full time at the University of Southern California. Um, I was recruited to come over there and uh, kind of work in the, the music industry department and with the music students also on branding and marketing. Some of what we've, you know, I've done a lot of that. I do graduate branding and marketing. I, I do a festival design and management class, which is super fun. It's, it's a great elective and we have a lot of fun with that class. Um, I do a really a class that teaches about the nuts and bolts of venue contracts, agent contracts, relationships between artists and their managers and how it all comes, the, the nuts and bolts of all this. Uh, I do a class in philanthropic thought and entertainment. That's kind of my 496 class. We put on a mental health festival. We do things. So I, it's plenty to keep me busy. It's super fun. And the nice thing for me right now is so many of my students are going into the space we worked in. They want to go work. So um, there's been a shortage of people working events right now. There's labor shortages everywhere and everyone's rushed back. So those experiences, I have kids, there's some working out at Coachella right now. There's some working on a big food festival. A lot of them are in venues and, and I'll get them a job and then I don't hear from them for a while. And I'll go, why didn't you, you know, what's going on? And they're going, oh man, I'm so busy work. I worked the Rolling Stones the other night and I did Eagles. And for me, if we can put more people into the business that have that I think I had a good attitude, really. I learned that from working in those clubs where people were always coked up and yelling and screaming and throwing, you know, it was a different, I never believed in that. If um, Very rarely did I ever raise my voice on tour to anyone. If they did, they knew they were in trouble. You know? But I came from a world where we're not, we're, we're creating entertainment. We're not brain surgeons. We're not curing AIDS. We can help with the process of hopefully helping someone else cure AIDS. We're creating fun 
And if we can create fun, sometimes we can educate. And that's why I always believed in having all those nonprofits out with me. Dude, I wish I could take your class. I would jump on that. That's awesome. That's so important, man. That's great. You have a lot of knowledge to share for sure. Yeah. You know, I tell people every day, I just say, look, learn how to do some good and do good business. They can go hand in hand. And if you start doing it when you have nothing, if you start thinking about it, it just becomes part of your DNA, your business DNA. Now, wow, how can I do good today? Well, maybe, you know, so we've just been studying, you know, environmentally. We always tried a lot of things to make, you know, you're going to leave a footprint in touring. But we, we did some things out there that I'm trying to instill in the next generation. And my daughter, I think, I don't know if you've ever met her, Sierra now, but she, my daughter's toured with me from 14 until now. And she's now a day-to-day manager for Avril Lavigne. But, you know, she's like, wow, I work a festival and she's like oh my god it's all your students you're taking over from the underground again but you're bringing all your students in and they're all working for these people who worked on warp tour and it's funny she laughs because they always come up and when they still call when they call me professor live and everyone still laughs it's still pretty funny i haven't met her i think she's all, she was on the tv show right I was going to mm-hmm. ask about that. I honestly just recently discovered it. I don't watch much TV, but I heard you mention it on your podcast. So I looked up a, a couple of episodes and <laughs> I mean, that's a whole awesome thing in itself. What was that experience like? You know, it, it, the, the beginning of it was, it was super fun. Like, you know, I, like I sort of, I said, like, we'd always challenge ourselves. I did that episode on the, 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 uh, the horror movies we filmed out on Warp Tour. Why not? Just have fun. So when I was approached by Fuse, which was a good partner of ours, and when playing a lot of this music about this concept of Warped Roadies, I thought it was a, why not? It was really, why not? Um, first season was very organic and very natural. Second season, and we talked about in the podcast, they started to try to, of course, producers try to manipulate things. And there's some great stories about, you know, Sully and some of these things, how, you know, you had to deal with things and they'd come back and go, can you retake that? They go, well, no, not necessarily. I can't retake that, you know, but uh, it was really, we, uh, I always felt most of the time we find in life that the answer is no for most people. They always find the reason to say no. I found every reason to say yes until there was only an option of no. And rarely was there only an option of no. We could always figure out how to make yes work in some form. Yeah, it's a great show. I mean, I don't know. I, I only could find a couple episodes, but I wanted to watch more. It's just cool. Yeah, I, if you get a chance, it's we did about 14 episodes, I think. Yeah, totally. Something. Let me ask you this. This was a fan question. Uh, which bands did you always want to get, but you just like never could? Are there any? Well, you go back and look at it. You know, I guess, you know, I, I early on, I, I like pushed, uh, you know, I think Panic at the Disco would have been great on Warped Tour, but they kind of grew so fast. At one point, I had 21 pilots confirmed, but and the, Joe Kalitri, who worked with them, really wanted them to do it, but their agent talked him out of doing it at that point. Um, you know, not too many. You know, I wanted the Ramones to come back and play on Warped Tour. But we lost them. Joe Strummer was supposed to be out there the year that he passed away. Uh, overall, though, I had almost everyone. I, you know, I look at it now. I, I did push for um, Avril Lavigne when she was doing Skater Boy, but the management wouldn't talk to me because they were moving her in a pop direction. I don't even know if she heard about it because look who she's hanging out now with all the work tour type bands. She would have been perfect out there. But overall, I, it, there was a lot of bands played. And the uh, only reason I didn't get some of the bands is we started to lose members of those bands. How about abroad? So can you talk about Warp Tour in Australia? Well, you know, Warp Tour was, we Warp Tour went abroad in, in early, you know, like 96, 97, 98. It was part of my deal with bands was to go do a few shows in Europe. But I had, I didn't even have a passport at that point, pretty much. <laughs> you know, pretty much had to figure out how to go do that. And uh, we did some shows over there but that was that connection from working in those clubs there was a lot of european punk bands that had come through these 
these venues in Los Angeles. So I had some people to go talk to that were like, oh man, that sounds fun. I heard what you're doing, Kevin. We could put up a little skate ramp and we could do this. You know, getting the chance to tour Australia when we did it that one time and camp across Australia. I mean, I don't think anyone has really done a tour where you slept in tents and you camped across. And, and then we had these little motorhomes, but we, it was Blink and Pennywise, 311 and the Vandals, real big fish. I mean, solid lineups and, and uh, drawing 10, you know, 10, 15,000 people in some markets. And we're, here we are in our little campsites backstage. And that's where I found bands like The Living End and Friends of Rom and The Porkers and Grinspoon, all these Australian bands. And we started that movement of bands coming from Australia. And that's got me hooked up with Die Totenhosen from Germany who wanted to come to Australia. And then all of a sudden we're up in Japan and, you know, a high standard and some of those punk bands out of there that came and did warp later on. It was cool. We had this great, and that turned me on to J-Rock, which was, you know, pretty interesting that I brought a lot of those J-Rock bands on that indoor Taste of Chaos tour that was kind of referred to as the indoor warp tour. Um, and uh, it, it was really fun. And, and even getting to go back in the last few years to across Europe and doing Australia again, it, it was a great way to, you know, travel. You know, it was, for me, it was, sadly, I, I didn't, I didn't have world travel. Now I do more or, you know, with my family or my wife. But back then I had to bring all my friends with me. So those thousand people would shrink down to a hundred and we'd go travel around Europe and I'd lose all my money that I made on the U.S. tour in Europe at first and, until we figured that out. But we played the Pompalota Bull Ring. We went, you know, when they, where they run the bulls. And so, so we had a lot of great memories. That's so cool. What a cool venue. I love the taste of chaos. You know, it's funny. I didn't know at the time, me and my friends would call it, this is Winter Warp Tour. I, I didn't even know you were behind it at the time, I don't think. I, I went to the first three or four of those and yeah, those were those are great. Those were cool because you guys, you know, winter, those bands and, and grabbing that scene of music, the used and My Chemical Romance, Census Fail and Kill Switch. So we were starting to bridge that kind of world and we put it inside and it went great. You know, it spun into the Mayhem Festival later on. And so I've enjoyed it. And it's funny, we always talk about the Warp Tour so much, but there was a lot of other, been a lot of other great projects. And, you know, this that spun into the, some of this work I've been able to do and, and addiction recovery with some of the things and music cares. So, you know, at the end of it all, I guess you'll just run out of time in life. You know, you don't run out of things to do. I'm just rechanneling that energy right now. So what are some of your favorite projects that you've taken on that are kind of spinoffs from the Warp Tour? Well, that uh, that 320 project I did with Tolinda Benting, Bennington, the Mental Health Festival that I bridged with uh, my students from USC. Uh, I, I did uh, Recover Out Loud this past year with Macklemore up in Las Vegas for an organization. Uh, I, I've got a few th you know, things and, and I get hit all the time. I have to realize I have to be kind of selective on what I'm working on right now because of the commitment to the students I have. Uh, anyone who, everyone says, I want to teach a class and they don't realize how much work really teaching a class is. I've been up since I think I woke up in, at 3.30 or 4 in the morning. I couldn't sleep. So I just got up and caught up on school stuff this morning because you want to stay on point and you owe it to those kids to, to do the best you can. I'm the same way. Like a, I'm a night owl and that's all I'll stay up all, all night just editing like a podcast episode or something. So what's um who's behind the podcast? Want to talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah, the podcast for me was, uh, it's uh, my work life. And I have a couple of my students that are uh, former students, they graduated now that are producing it. And they do some other podcasts for people. And it turned out my my buddy that I got to befriend Tony, Tony Aradia, he lives in the neighborhood. And I got to be friends over the pandemic, we would sit around, and we started playing golf. And that was the only about you can either golf kayak, or paddleboard, or, you know, ride your bike, 
during the pandemic. And I go, you'd be great. You'd be a great co-host because he's pretty funny. And he has no idea of all the history and all the things we used to do. <laughs> so the stories are all new to him. I didn't realize all the stories are new to him, but he is a great co-host. Yeah, you guys have a really funny dynamic. And, yeah. and it's just a cool structure. Like, you know, it's you and Tony talking and then it'll pop over to like maybe Krista makes from Listen Jake or someone from a band or someone from behind the scenes. And uh, it's it's a really cool structure. Well, well I think it's, you know, it's, we, it, we're doing it. It's it's definitely a lot of editing, <laughs> a lot of putting yeah. it together and trying to put it in con concise episodes. But we'll see. You know, I, I, we shot it. We actually shot it as a pilot for a TV show. Um, had some fun with it in our backyard. Did a, we're trying to recreate the warp barbecues in our own backyard in a, in a hybrid method. Who knows? If nothing else, we got a great video. It's just like I used to do. You want to create and have fun and, and, and you know, not be a little less, you know, it's appreciate kind of what we've done, but look forward to the future. That sounds really cool. I, I hope that works out. I'd like to watch that. Yeah. That sounds awesome. I don't know if we needed a 61-year-old uh, TV host these days, but who knows? Dude, I'll watch it. Obviously, there's a lot of challenges you've had to face that you did not anticipate, right? Because you, you're really living out there, like you said. What were maybe a couple of the biggest challenges you came across where you had to like really like change the way you did things and, and readjust? Well, really, I mean, it was, you know, the biggest challenges were, you know, definitely the weather. You know, I mean, when you put an outdoor festival on, you're taking everyone's lives. It's, you know, the weather's changing. We, you know, we read about it. We were, I, but I witnessed it for, you know, all those, for those few years of Lollapalooza and being on Warped and watching how the summers were getting hotter, the storms more severe, uh, the winds blowing differently, lasting longer. Um, honestly, I, I got a little tired of running towards the lightning because that was my job. Uh, while I was getting everyone to safety, I had to run into the lightning. Those were always my biggest challenges. Um, honestly, when Warped was having a nice weather day and, and it was a good day, oh man, at a point you could just walk around and listen to bands. There was points, you know, I'd just drift off and go to a festival for two, three hours and enjoy music the way that I would want to see it and, and create it for other people and, and watch people's faces. And then there's other days where I'd have to be on point from the minute I stepped off that bus till I went to bed, whether we were looking at big storms or, or severe heat and uh, weather. You know, it's also understanding the, the temperature of your tour, uh, the dynamics when people were getting t more tired, when we maybe needed to put some curfews on the barbecue because I knew people had to go to sleep, get a little more sleep. Uh, things like that, just a little, you know, the nuances um, and, and really reading those nuances of a traveling party. And also the toughest times is sometimes I would get a message that someone lost a family member at home and I had to go kind of break the news to them. That was hard. I had yeah. to do that quite a few times. And, and it's not a moment that you want to, but you realize you had to kind of compartmentalize everything to keep everything moving. Those emotions came out when they opened the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I walked in the room and we had done a memorial wall of all the people who had kind of passed away during that time. And it was a lot. There was a lot of people that I that I never got to kind of have that moment to semi to grieve or to or wow, they're gone. You know, we're, we're seeing that right now. You know, I'm the generation above me that were my mentors in the last year, the, the Ted Gardner's who, who passed away this year and hearing about other names that, that kind of we watched while we were growing up. Maybe we learned some bad habits from them, but we maybe learned some good habits or maybe we developed our own habits from observing them. That generation is starting. We're the next ones. 
So while we're here, we need to pass on as much as we possibly can and let you guys kind of take over that next generation for us. Forward thinking. Now, I, I got to ask about this. So I'm pretty sure everybody I've had on my podcast has done the Warp Tour. So I always ask for Warp Tour stories, and I can't remember who it was, but somebody said if you sh- if you got too fucked up and like were sloppy, the next day you, you would put them on at like 11 a.m. or 10. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing cures a hangover than getting that 11.15 like, set time. Usually <laughs> the only great. bands that didn't though was like cross faith and like the, the bands from the, the, like those guys would go hard, like out on the road. And then I'd be all like, okay, 1130 spot in Florida, just burning. And they'd come out and they'd be so happy because then they could get back to drinking. They felt like they could play early and go out, continue the party. They were the only ones that threw it back on me. It was like, really? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, this is great. Now we go back and party. <laughs> yeah, that's so, funny, man. Yeah, I know. So we had a, we had a great time. Uh, we had a great time. But it was cool. So I had Matthew from Funeral for a Friend on. And I, actually, he might have been the one who told me because he doesn't drink. But I think he said the people in his band were like throwing up on stage. So like he didn't care if they were playing early. But... <laughs> What I loved about his part of the Warped Tour story was just like, you know, they're from the UK. Their band got pretty massive. They come over and they're on a bus touring with Caven and Caven's still in a van. But like, I don't know, man, he was just the biggest fan of music. He was like, I just walked around every day and just watched all this music. The bands would start watching bands and they took their tours into control sometimes and they made their own deals in the parking lot. We're going to tour together. Oh, we're going to hang out together. And their agents and managers might say, well, you need to go out or the record label. We want to put this together. And they're going, oh, we made, we made a deal with our friends out here. We're all going to go tour together. So you would see these great packages down, the, you know, six months after Warp Tour, or three months after Warp Tour that were created in those parking lots, traveling on their as their own entity, that they feel that it was better for them to all team up and reconnect that audience that they met in the parking lots. With. Do you have time for a couple more? Is that cool? Yeah, you know, just about five, 10 minutes, whatever you need. Okay, you know? I appreciate it. Um, let me ask you this. It seems that we've turned a corner here with the pandemic stuff and there's all these tours and festivals happening. From what you've seen out there, is there anyone that you as a fan would go attend? Well, Chris DeMakes called me uh, and he calls me on my birthday and he called me yesterday and he wished me happy, happy birthday. Thank you. And he called me from London. He calls me every year. And I don't think it's making it out to the West Coast, but I, I really like that Aqua Bats Bowling for Soup and Less Than Jake package. Um, that's a solid package. That's that's going to be a fun show. Uh, would I maybe like to go see that one? Um, I was hoping to go see, uh, you know, they just did some punk rock, uh, punk and drublick shows out here on the West Coast last week. I was hoping to get out and um, Fat Mike played in my golf tournament and we were hanging out. And I wanted to go out and see some of my old punk rock friends, but I woke up and it was like raining that morning. Kind of dry. I go, nah, you know, I'm that point now. I don't need to go out in the rain. I used to have to go out and put on the shows in the rain. Now, if it's raining, I could be like everyone else. And just, yeah, you know, I'll catch it on the next time. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to get, you know, start. But I, man, I, one of the things I have to do is start going to see some of the bands of my, the, the talent at USC. It's crazy. Like a couple girls, Lily Forte came into my office this young girl, sophomore in school, played me some demos and some of her recordings yesterday. And she's got a show coming up this week. I got to go see her. I mean, it was so good. I sent it over to friends of mine at record labels and stuff. I said, you guys want to go see this? I mean, she's young, but super good. And uh, there is so much talent around there. So the next few weeks, I've got some shows that students are doing. Um, I haven't really gone to any student shows that much, uh, but I think I'm going to go try to catch some of them before this uh, the semester's over. I like to say that the semester's over. And then I go on summer break now instead of loading up 20 semi-trucks 
obviously going on the road. <laughs> That's awesome, man. All right, let me ask you this, Kevin. What advice would you give to someone like up and coming in the touring or music world? I think it's one of those things. There, there's more opportunity than ever now. If you are multifaceted, you know, if you want to be a road manager, learn sound. People are looking for people that can do more than one skill. Uh, this is a great opportunity to get in the business. There's more jobs available right now than I've ever seen, like ever in my life. It's, you know, and then just go in there with that that attitude that and, and ask questions. Don't pretend you know too much. I think that's one thing I think people get scared to ask questions. But uh, I hope that people get in this business and, you know, it's it's been good to me. I've worked really hard in it. Um, I always say, I you know, we were allowed to prosper in our business because we didn't take advantage of it. Uh, we gave a lot back to the fans. We tried to give a lot back to our crews and, and take care of them. So if you could say that, you know, 40 years later, you were able to be part of something. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. What are some major pitfalls that are like a must avoid? Oh, the lanes are too wide. Like the lanes of life are wide in music. When you, If you work at a bank, the lane's pretty narrow. And I always relate it to, there's a narrow line. Like, you know, I, I've seen everything. I've seen people with $100,000 making, settling a show and one's doing coke and one's smoking a joint. That's a long time ago, you know, and there's money changing hands. And, and I'm like, well, can you imagine that at a bank? You don't get away with that. This was tolerated in a business, but that to- being tolerant lifestyles, the lanes get pretty wide. And when you get, I, I, when you're like skating and you get speed wobbles, you get out of control pretty quick. And this business, all of a sudden you find yourself way outside the lines. It's not the narrow line down the road. Those wide lines of acceptance are now really out there and you can spiral very quickly. So it's maintaining yourself, your mental health. We're, we're talking about it much more in the industry right now. Before it was the show must go on at all costs. Now we're looking at it. Those costs have cost a lot of lives. Those costs have damaged a lot of people. How can we keep people from being damaged in this business? I think uh, it's, it's an open conversation now. Before, we just sucked it up and kept going. And uh, now there's going to be a bigger discussion because people realize, and I hate to say it, everyone's a commodity in this business. We need the artists. We need the crew. We need to get them to be able to work for 30, 40 years down the road. Fill up those arenas because you know what? It's a singles business in some ways that, oh, as long as you generate a single, you're accepted, accepted, accepted by a certain part of the industry. But you know what? We've got to maintain this and we've got to maintain our, our artists. We can't keep losing them at the rate we're doing it right now. We need to them to be here 20, 30 years so everyone can work and have a strong ecosystem. That's very well said. All right. Uh, any plugs, man? I know you got the podcast. Uh, what else do you want to plug? Yeah, you know, check out the plot podcast. You know, get out there and support some of the the charities that you've always seen around on Warp Tour. They're all out there doing things. And just get out and enjoy live music. And you know what? If you see a crew cruise person out there, give them a high five and say thank you. All right, Kevin, you're a legend. Thank you so much. This has truly been an honor. And uh, I really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, Dana, safe travels down the road. See you down the road, hopefully. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's wrap this one up, baby. Come on, yes. Kevin Lyman, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, Warp Tour. How awesome was that? Very cool. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Here's the deal. I'm in Cleveland right now, Baltimore tonight. Still plenty of this tour to go. And uh, like I said, 
at the beginning of the episode, a lot of these are sold out already or very close to it. If we are coming to your city, you do not want to miss out. I'm telling you, this is a killer show. All four bands are firing from all cylinders and just they're all amazing. So get tickets if you can. Show up early. Don't miss Microwave and stay through the end. And I promise you're going to be blown away by all four of these bands. They're all fucking crushing it. And I enjoy watching them every single night. All right. Now, if this is your first time listening to the Two Week Notice podcast, thank you so much. If this is your vibe, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode in the future. Got some killer guests coming up. Check that backlog. I've had some killer guests in the past. If you really want to help me out and you have the iPhone in particular, the little purple square, the app that says podcasts. All right. Go to that. Type in my show, Two Week Notice Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed and scroll all the way down to the bottom and give me a five-star written review. I can't tell you how helpful that is. Or don't. Do whatever the fuck you want. Let's close this out. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to close it out with Microwave's newest song because it's rad. All right? It's called Circling the Drain. Until next time, I love you all. Poise. Good for